0: From Eyewitness News, this is Newsmakers. The number of unprosecuted cases by the attorney general's office is higher than first thought. New AG Peter Nerona, who inherited the problem, says they found a backlog of 1,600 felony cases. That's on top of the 1,300 already revealed in December.
1: That issue is, is solely ours, whether it happened last year or next year or this year. That is an attorney general's office issue.
0: Now Nerona has shaken up the unit that handles these prosecutions. Will it lead to justice in cases that have been collecting dust? Plus, his first 100 days in office as the state's top prosecutor. Our guest this week on Newsmakers, Attorney General Peter Narona. Welcome to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White. Joining me on the program, as always, eyewitness news reporter Ted Nisi. Attorney General Peter Nerona, welcome back to the program. It's good to have you. Thanks for having me back. So, before we get into um, the preamble I set up there, Mm -hmm. I want to talk to you as sort of a legal scholar. You have nearly, I'm sure you've calculated this, a quarter century (laughs) of uh, service as a prosecutor under your belt. Um, And, you know, Picture the studio as a, a law school classroom, mm-hmm. if you will, because I want to talk about the Mueller report, sure. which was released yesterday. We taped this on a Friday. It was released in redacted uh, form. Focusing on obstruction of justice, General, there are conflicting theories that someone cannot be charged with obstruction of justice if the underlying crime wasn't there. As a federal prosecutor, if you felt someone try to impede your investigation, even if you could not... PROVE THE PREDICATE CRIME, WOULD YOU BE WILLING TO CHARGE THAT PERSON WITH OBSTRUCTION?
1: Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Um, you know, I'm trying to think back as to whether or not we had a case like that, and, and I can't think of one off the top of my head. But I would. I'd want to do the legal research, of course, and that's, I guess, what you're asking me. But I would strongly consider it because there, there are lots of times when, when you can't prove the crime that you're investigating, even though you're reasonably certain it occurred. Um, and so to obstruct that investigation um, even if you can't ultimately get to the underlying crime to me is still
2: an obstruction and I would, would at minimum strongly consider it you yeah. know the old uh, the people say that the prosecutor uh, could get a ham sandwich indicted <laughs> yes, that yes, whole yes. thing and that you as I've read the Mueller report some of the president's defenders have said well this is what federal prosecutors do they they get you into a thicket of questions about your memory and you're off and then they get you on a perjury trap that they yeah. created in that whole thing you know is there validity to that that you know if there's no Underlying crime, but you get stuck in a what can be a scary situation with federal prosecutors that you misstep only because and there wasn't even a crime.
1: Yeah, well, well, again, I think I think part of the process is determining whether a crime was committed or not, and um, if you if you're sort of getting in the way of that investigation um, by, for example. I'm investigating a public corruption case, and one of the targets is telling witnesses to lie to the grand jury. I may never, not ever, ever be able to indict that case because I just don't have it. I don't have enough. I don't have enough corroborating evidence. But that doesn't mean that the target of the grand jury investigation, who's telling witnesses to lie to the grand jury, hasn't obstructed the grand jury process and shouldn't be brought to justice. So there's an instance, you know, again, we're just thinking off the top of my head here, where I would seriously consider bringing an obstruction charge. And I will say, in my experience, that. Prosecutors do not go into an investigation trying to trap people into a crime. I I, I can't recall an instance like that in my career. You know, knowing what I know about Bob Mueller and the people working on his team, some of whom I do know, Uh, Greg Andres, for example, is a terrific prosecutor. I don't think that's the case. I will say this, you, you know, more broadly about the report. I haven't read the whole thing yet, but the parts that I've read, the report to me reads like a case where the facts are laid out, but the closing argument hasn't been made. So as I read, I read the, the, uh, the report and its description of the facts, it seems to me that had the Mueller report wanted to argue a conclusion from those facts, it could have, but it didn't.
0: And I and don't know why that that what does that tell you? What does that tell you? That they didn't put a... Are they, are they trying to urge Congress to address it? Potentially, Tim. I think that's one thing. Maybe they viewed it as, look, we
1: can't do this because it's a sitting president. And I'm, I'm speculating here. Maybe that's the rationale. Uh, so they so they lay the facts out and they say to Congress, this is really your bailiwick. This is what you should be focused on. And here are the facts. Do with it what you will. So that, that's what struck me. Um, there's a lot of here are the facts, um, but and look, the facts can go either way. You know, in certain places in that report. But as prosecutors, that happens all the time, right? You've got competing facts. That's what a trial is. And then you take the facts that you have and you argue a, to a conclusion. And you hope, if you're the prosecutor. Assuming that you believe that, it, that that is justice, that the jury
0: sees it your way. Attorney General uh, Bill Barr ha- has echoed some of the president's concerns about how this whole thing started in the first place and the possibility of illegal mm. spying by the government on U.S. citizens. Uh, you know what it takes to get a wiretap, mm-hmm. you know what an invasion of privacy that is and a real disturbance of someone's civil liberties. Yeah. So the bar is very high yes. to do that sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Are you concerned at all so far by what you know?
1: No, and and in fact, you know, in a sense, uh, I don't think the current attorney general has really laid out why he believes that. And I think now that he said it, he should, Mm. because it it really undermines faith in a process that I think works very, very well. And, you know, in my experience working with the FBI for a long period of time, obviously there are actors uh, in any agency that aren't doing it the right way, but the institutions are in place to make sure that that doesn't happen. So I think it's incumbent on the attorney general to make plain why he believes that.
2: Well, let's turn to Rhode Island. And uh, the big headline of the week out of your office, uh, mm-hmm. and I want to get my numbers right on this, is, is these unprosecuted cases, yeah. felony cases, which is mm-hmm. how people are going to think of it at home. The, your predecessor admitted, he was on this show in December, that he'd found, or his team had found, 1,300 cases, uh, felonies that had not been prosecuted yeah. over the years, some of which could not be because of the statute of right. limitations. Then you this week uh, mentioned a backlog of nearly 1,700 mm-hmm. cases, but some of those can be prosecuted, sure. is my understanding, but there's, there's a lot there. On the ones that uh, weren't prosecuted and maybe could have been, and the statute of limitations over, I got to tell you, people that we've heard from all week are saying heads should roll. This that seems right. really bad. Is, why do we have an attorney general if they're not making sure the cases that come in get either pro- a decision is made, you prosecute sure. or not, or whatever? Uh, you know, it, are, are people being held accountable for this? Uh, that that this happened?
1: Yeah. Look. So um, one of the things I did when I when I took over was to review. Well, not only when I took over during the transition to ask questions about the intake unit, and then when I took over to make sure that it was running the right way. So The intake unit being who gets the case correct, from the police. Correct, right. So the intake unit is where these 4,000 cases come in, absent capital cases. Um, these are and, and, so
0: again, yes, just capital yes. cases, murder, rape, and those always go through to a the grand, grand jury, jury for an Correct. indictment or not, uh, no true bill. So, Correct. Anyway, so continue. these are
1: cases that are charged by a prosecutor. So it's the same determination, probable cause that a crime was committed and this defendant committed it, but we're making the charge as opposed to a grand jury, really just to handle the volume. So. During the transition, obviously there was an issue. the, the former attorney general recognized that um, and was was uh, and, and and described that problem. I wanted to know, uh, as I was going into office, what I needed to do to make sure that what had happened in that instance didn't happen again. So I was thinking about this during the transition, and when I started, uh, I put somebody in charge of that unit, Susan Urso, for whom I have. Incredible, in whom I have incredible confidence. I've worked with her for, for many years on the line. She's great, as well as another attorney in there that will do a great job. So, the, so to answer your question, yes, we had to change the way we were doing things, and Attorney General Comartin knew that and acknowledged that. So, there are really two things that we're talking about here. One of the cases for are, are cases for which we don't have the information we need to go forward. Those are the cases principally that Attorney General uh, Kim Martin was talking about last fall. Those are cases for which the office did not have the information from the police departments that they needed. Now, I believe that it's incumbent on us as an office to get that information from police departments when we don't have it. It's a collaborative thing, but we've got to reach out and say, look, we don't have everything or we have nothing. The cases that I was talking about this week are different. They're different. The issue there is the unit wasn't staffed well enough to be able to handle the incoming cases and to move cases out of the system so let me explain what i mean by that there are cases that come in from the police department all the time. We have to analyze those cases to again ensure that there's probable cause to believe a crime was committed and this defendant committed it. Figure out what the right crime is, put it together in a package, draft out the information which is the charging uh, document, unlike an indictment. The same idea, but but different, and then get that case into the superior court system. The cases we were talking about today, those 1,697 cases, because I wanted them counted when I started. I wanted to know if I don't understand the scope of the problem, I don't know how to fix it those cases were not moving. It wasn't that the statute of limitations had expired, they weren't moving, and they weren't likely to move unless I increased staffing in there. And and why do they need to move? Well, you've got the statute of limitations at the outside, but you have this six-month problem. So once a case gets charged in the district court, which is the misdemeanor court, Felonies get charged there first, but they can't stay there. We've got to get them charged within six months. If we don't, bail conditions go away—no contact orders, substance abuse counseling. Well, they could also
0: be dismissed at a district court if the defense attorney files a motion. Well, that's what I'm
1: talking about, right? So, in six months, those those things stay in place if they're not dismissed. But they can be dismissed, and if they are, those bail conditions go away. So, what concerned me about that pool of cases was cases over six months old, of which there were about 600 and some odd. There were about 500 cases that were three to six months old, and there were another. 500 round numbers. That was zero to three. Now you can make the argument that those zero to three cases are fine. Mm-hmm. You can make the argument that the three to six cases are fine. But what concerned me was that because of a lack of staffing, they weren't moving. The people were working on the cases that were coming in, the new cases, but not those cases that were ready to go. We had everything. We just needed to get them. So it was a people issue. You did not have enough people. Correct. And so what I did in the first three months, so I brought Sue in and I said Sue, what do you what do you need to do to fix this problem it's pretty clear we needed more people so i did not hire a single st- a staff person unless it was a critical position before i had that intake unit fully staffed and i have gone i've taken that unit we've taken that unit from 7 full time employees to 13 and a half if you include a part time position and that is getting the job done and hard work in that unit people coming in on weekends on a volunteer basis to a dent in this backlog. I've got three people working that backlog full time, and then the rest of them are working on the new cases. And we're making a dent in it, we're keeping up, and I'm confident we got this thing straightened out.
0: As Ted mentioned, we had a uh, former Attorney General who was then Attorney General, Peter MARTIN, on the show on December 7th. And I want to play a, l- a little sound for you. Um, as he was going out the door, we spent a lot of time on this topic. We led the show with it. Uh, we pressed him on how big at the time he thought this problem was, and we wanted to know a timeline, and here, here's what uh, Peter Kilmartin had to say. I want to get this done before I leave, because I don't want that hanging out there that there was something that was done that was done wrong or improperly, and, and I want to get a handle on it, and if I have to come back to you on my last day in office and say, boy, that was worse than I thought it was, I'll do that. I'll take responsibility for the roles of our office. All right, General, uh, so time has passed now. Mm-hmm. Should he take responsibility? Look, you know, here's the
1: thing. I, the Attorney General was very candid and dealt with those thirteen hundred cases. He he charged the ones that he could, or he had his people charge them. The ones that he couldn't, he acknowledged that he couldn't. I think he did the right thing there. The question for me was going forward, now that I'm there, and I gotta tell you, there, there there's a ton of work that goes through that unit. And to try to do that work with six or seven people is very difficult. Now Look,
0: I, can I stop you? Sure. I, yeah. Just because I know what people at home are thinking right yeah. now. They're, they're thinking you're protecting him.
1: No, look, I'm not. Look, Peter Kumarn doesn't need me to protect him. You know, we, we worked on cases together. When I was U.S. Attorney, we did some good work together. My thing was when I got there was whether it was intake or anything else, and this is what, I've, what's, what I try to do in transition and what I've been doing in these first 100 days is analyze every aspect of the office. How can we improve it? How can we make it better? And it's very clear to me that those. Uh, 1,600 cases, some odd. We're not going to move unless I got more people in there.
0: And the 1,300 cases, so people at home understand that's the first bucket of correct. cases where there wasn't enough information, right. as you said, from the police department. Correct. Is it accurate to say the vast majority of those, now that you have a handle on the problem, will never see their final day in court? Is that right?
1: Well, the ones for which the statute of limitations cannot be revived. So the issue for us there is moving forward. How do we make sure that that doesn't happen again? So let me let me, get, let me talk about that for a minute. We've got to have a, uh, if you will, a tickler system inside the intake unit, the screening unit that says, "Look, the time is passing." Right. So at three months, if we don't have everything, we got to get to the police department. At four months, we got to go back. At five months, we got to go back. The chiefs want that. I met with the chiefs. They want to know. They want to get their
2: systems through the process. So, can they be automated? Couldn't you have like a, a an alert go off on a case yeah, or something so if it so says it's still got an empty yeah, file?
1: So yeah. So we're working on automation. We're working on automation. But but I will tell you that and I started to say this. It's a 237-person organization that's doing a lot of work. You know, I had a 50 person organization at the US Attorney's office. We charged 100 to 125 cases a year. This is a 237 person organization that's charging 4 to 6,000 right. cases a year. I've got 90 bit some, of a different pace. Oh my god, 90, <laughs> 90 lawyers, okay, 90 lawyers in our criminal division. I had 15 in our um, 90 total. I have about 60 in the criminal division. I had 15 in the attorney's office. The volume is overwhelming. So, that's no excuse. We can get this right. We're on the path to getting it right. I am confident we will not lose cases due to the statute of limitations unless there's a legitimate reason.
0: Of the 1,600?
1: Of any case going forward, we should not lose a case due to the statute of limitations unless there's a reason. And here's the reason. And the Attorney General, the last Attorney General, mentioned this. And this is a legitimate answer in some instances. If you cannot find a victim, you can't go forward.
0: And he says the majority of those, and we have to go to break. I'm sorry, but mm-hmm. he says the majority of those 1,300 cases are that. That they they don't have the witness, they don't have enough evidence, and they probably weren't going to get to superior court anyway. Is that right?
1: Look, I I did not go back and analyze each one of those 1,300 cases. I'm looking to go to to move forward, and so and so I have no reason to dispute that. But there are lots of reasons why those 1,300 cases didn't go forward. He articulated them. I'm looking forward. We're going to get this right. We're going to make sure what happened in the past didn't happen again. We're adequately staffed. We're going to move cases quickly. AND uh, I'M CONFIDENT WE'VE GOT THIS THING ON THE RIGHT PATH.
0: ALL RIGHT. A HUNDRED DAYS GOES FAST FOR THE ATTORNEY GENERAL. THAT'S HIS FIRST HUNDRED DAYS UNDER HIS BELT. WE'RE GOING TO TALK ABOUT THAT WHEN re- WE RETURN. OUR GUEST THIS WEEK IS ATTORNEY GENERAL PETER Noronha. STAY WITH US. YOU'RE WATCHING NEWSMAKERS. WELCOME BACK TO NEWSMAKERS. I'M TIM WHITE TO MY LEFT. EYEWITNESS NEWS REPORTER TED Nisi. OUR GUEST THIS WEEK IS RHODE ISLAND ATTORNEY GENERAL PETER Nerona. Ted.
2: Uh, Attorney General, you've said you want to reduce felony drug possession mm-hmm. charges to misdemeanors. Uh, one of the concerns I've heard about that proposal is the impact on cities and towns. Yeah. Because when they become a misdemeanor, they will need to be prosecuted at the yep. municipal level, which uh, there are a lot of drug cases. Sure. Uh, and so that means they'll need more attorneys, more staff, yep. potentially. Uh, are you concerned about that? Are you concerned that cities and towns can't handle that shift, even if you think there's a policy rationale to make it a misdemeanor?
1: Yeah, well, we're going to keep them. Yeah, so I've committed to keeping those cases. So okay. the Attorney General's office is going to prosecute those cases, whether they're misdemeanors or felonies. And just just to just to clarify too, we're talking about simple possession of small amounts of narcotics. We're not talking about somebody who possesses with intent to deliver. No matter what the amount is, we're not talking about people who deliver narcotics. Uh, we're not talking about people who have over an ounce of narcotics. We're talking about small amounts of narcotics for personal use. And the reason I believe in that legislation, the reason I propose it is, I want people when they get through the cycle of addiction, when they're ready to go back to society to have something other than a felony hanging around their neck because it's that felony that keeps them out of housing it's that felony that keeps them out of the out of employment it's that felony that keeps them out of college and i think people have the right to reset when they are possessing small amounts of narcotics for personal use, to me that's a public health issue. It's not a law enforcement issue.
0: So you point out that drug possession is a misdemeanor in Massachusetts when you announce this, mm-hmm. but THEY ARE not for heroin and fentanyl. Mm-hmm. Does your legislation make possession of these drugs a misdemeanor as well?
1: Well, first of all, let me say that 20 other states also have similar laws, and, and they're and they're um, and they're a little bit different. So one of the things that we're talking about and have talked about is we've met with our partners around around uh, this legislation, particularly law enforcement, is. Is should we treat fentanyl and heroin, uh, or 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 Schedule One and Schedule Two drugs, a little bit differently? So in other words, should we should we draw a line somewhere between, and not to get too into the weeds too much, between zero or the smallest amount in one ounce and make something, say, 10 grams or 14 grams, uh, make, that, uh, make that a felony. So we're still talking about that for those, those more serious uh, drugs. But I will say this about fentanyl. So we, we went back, because we know that's the big danger here. We went back and we pulled every fentanyl case that we did over the last five years. And I'm talking about possession of fentanyl only. So not dealing cases, possession of fentanyl cases only. And what we found was, of those 70 cases, one person went to jail for 30 days as a probation violator. So what's happening right now, if you possess fentanyl as, a, as an addict, you're getting diverted, meaning you're going into a diversion program. You're going to the drug court. You're getting a year of probation or 18 months probation or two years suspended. So you're not going to jail anyway. And so my question is, that, you know, my, my point is that if they're not going to jail anyway, what are we doing here? We're giving them a felony conviction that only has a negative consequence once they're out of addiction. So let let's understand this for what it is. Let's make sure treatment's available to them. Let's make sure that they get treatment. Use that, use the criminal justice system to drive that. But you don't need a felony to do that. You know, a felony is there for people who deal drugs DON'T ought to go to jail for doing that. But if you're not going to jail on the most serious type of a narcotic, which is fentanyl, Why are we making this a felony? That's my argument.
2: Uh, Different topic, one that we've talked about for years, but uh, when you came out with the the, I'm going to fix the uh, unprosecuted cases situation, I instantly had a couple people saying to me, just wait till he gets to 38 Studios. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) suggesting that somehow it's finally going to be broken wide open, new information, whatever. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you expect to come out of your new administration on 38 Studios, or should people consider that basically a? A settled matter. We know what we're going to know, and it's over.
1: Look, let let me say this. You know, when I was going through the um, going through the uh, the campaign and and the transition, I was asked the same question. And, And what I committed to do was to review what had been done in 38 studios to make sure, from from my perspective, that. THAT WE WEREN'T MISSING ANYTHING. That I JUST WANTED TO SEE IT WITH MY OWN EYES. AND, I, and I'M WORKING ON THAT ALONG WITH THE CRIMINAL CHIEF, STEVE DAMBURK, WHO WAS THE U.S. ATTORNEY yep. WHO REPLACED ME. I BROUGHT HIM OVER. SOMEBODY I TRUST trust VERY, VERY MUCH. WE have MET WITH THE STATE POLICE uh, AND PAT YOUNGS, WHO IS A CAREER PROSECUTOR I HAVE A LOT OF RESPECT FOR, WHO DID THE CASE INITIALLY. SO I'M NOT DONE WITH THAT REVIEW YET. BUT, but LET ME JUST SAY THIS. Uh, YOU ASKED ME THIS BEFORE. And obviously, we looked at 38 Studios when I was U.S. Attorney, and we did a lot of public corruption cases after that. We did Ray Gallison, Mm -hmm. we did Speaker Fox, and every time one of those public corruption cases came up, and and look, Gordon Fox is right in the middle of 38 Studios. We know that, right? We asked ourselves did we miss anything? Did Gordon Fox take a bribe? Gordon Fox was stealing from his campaign account, so we knew everything we needed to know about his finances, and not once in the
0: course. Well, of and time. he also took a bribe, it's mean, not related to 38 Studios. He did. Correct.
1: I'M no, <laughs> not here to defend Gordon Fox. But yeah. My point is, we knew, you know, we're the ones who found that bribe. Yeah, right. of course. We knew everything there was to know about Gordon Fox's finances, and so we asked ourselves, did we miss anything on 38 Studios? So going into this review, um, I did not have have high expectations that this was going to be the kind of thing where oh, all this information was mi- was missed, and we ought to retrigger this thing. I WILL TELL YOU, I'M NOT AT THE END OF IT YET. THERE WILL BE A LIMIT UNLESS THE LAW CHANGES ON how, I can, HOW MUCH I CAN SAY ABOUT IT. BUT, YOU KNOW, I WOULD NOT, I'M NOT OPTIMISTIC IN THIS SENSE that, um, that, when that, THAT WHEN THAT REVIEW IS COMPLETED THAT THERE WILL BE MUCH TO TALK ABOUT. LET'S PUT IT THAT WAY.
0: ARE YOU GOING TO WITHDRAW FROM THE GRAND JURY CASE on the, ON THE 38 STUDIOS ISSUE THAT IS BEFORE THE STATE SUPREME COURT?
1: NO, I AM NOT. AND LET ME EXPLAIN WHY NOT. BECAUSE I BELIEVE JUDGE GIBNEY GOT IT RIGHT UNDER THE LAW AS THE LAW EXISTS TODAY. That, based on uh, the law, based on Rule Six, Rule Six, and Rule Sixteen in in particular, if you look at Judge Gibney's decision in the Superior Court—that's on appeal now to the Supreme Court—when she went through that, went through her decision, and I analyzed it during the course of the campaign, Judge Gibney, I believe, got it right on every issue, on every single issue, and nothing has changed that. That's why I put in my grand jury bill. I put in my grand jury bill to address exactly this problem. The grand jury bill that I'm talking about would allow the grand jury. To return a report where there is no indictment, subject to due process protections for those identified in the report, uh, and subject to the approval of um, the
0: superior court presiding justice. How confident are you the general assembly is going to pass that? I don't
1: know. We're working hard to make that happen. I had Steve go up and testify on it because nobody knows more about grand jury than Steve Danbrook he did a great job. I hope that we'll we'll convince the general assembly to pass that. But look, I think it's I think it's important, and it's not for cases for, in which the public is interested. It's cases for which um, the public. Uh, it's a, to me the report should issue when it would serve the public's interest to issue it, not just to do it every time the public's interested in it. Because then the exception would swallow the rule. We're talking about a handful of instances, but I think it can be useful in certain circumstances, blue-on-blue blue situations, for example, mm-hmm. where we can talk about best practices and ways we can improve things. Ways we can improve things.
2: To me, that's why we would do this. All right, we're running low on time. We want to get to some topics quick. Uh, first of all, your name is constantly coming up as a possible candidate for governor yeah. in 2022. I know that's far away, but uh, is that something you could imagine considering? Or are you committed to doing two terms as attorney general if the public will have you?
1: Look, you know, my thinking right now is in the AG's office. I love that work. I can tell you that I don't think I would have run for anything else. YOU KNOW, WHEN I DECIDED TO RUN THE FIRST TIME. SO, so LET ME JUST SAY THIS, I, YOU know, AS WE'VE TALKED ABOUT, THERE'S A LOT OF WORK IN THAT OFFICE TO DO. MY FOCUS IS, is GETTING THAT OFFICE uh, WHERE I WANT IT TO BE. And WE DIDN'T TALK AT ALL ABOUT WHERE I'D LIKE TO TAKE IT, RIGHT? SO there, THERE'S LOTS OF THINGS I WANT TO DO WITH THE OFFICE. THAT'S WHERE MY FOCUS IS. ARE PEOPLE TELLING YOU TO RUN? Oh no! No one's telling me to run.
2: No. Really? No one said no, you should think of running for. No, another. no.
1: No. I think I think people realize I've got I've got a lot of work to do, and that's my heart isn't being a lawyer. You know, I love being U.S. attorney. I ran for this because I love this work. I love going to work every day and talking about legal issues and cases. Um, I love working with law enforcement. I love helping the community. I love working with victims. Uh, this is where my heart is. I'm a lawyer first. Um, I'm, I'm, I know I'm a politician now, but I'm a lawyer first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not somebody who runs government generally.
0: All right. As he said, we're running short on time. So mm-hmm. briefly, uh, and as a full disclosure, I'm a board member of the New, Eng- uh, New England yep. First Amendment Coalition. We met with you on public records and open meetings uh, matters. Your office plays a crucial role in the access to public records process. Complaints go through the AG's office. It is nefax. view. That there has been some very damaging advisory yep. opinions by the attorney general's office from the past administrations that have allowed government agencies to be less transparent. You're doing a top to bottom review of your office. Mm-hmm. What is your assessment of the public records unit?
1: Yeah, we. I, I think there's some very smart people there, right? But they need to be. Um, they need to understand what the attorney general's vision is vis-a-vis this issue. So. Whether it be open meetings or access to public records, there's a lot of forks in that road, right? There's a lot of discretion that the office can exercise. And what I've asked them to do is get to every single sort of uh, fork in the road and rethink what we're doing there. So this came up in the context of the the request submitted by Representative Morgan, whether a memorandum should be withheld simply because it's a memorandum or or not. We've changed that. and I expect we're going to change other things. We're changing the way we write reports, for example, to make them more like decisions as opposed to uh, letters to individuals. So we're doing a lot of that unit both mechanically and substantively to make sure we're doing it consistent with my vision, which is to turn over as much as you can. And I think you're beginning to see that in some of the decisions we've written. Um, and I
2: think you'll continue to see it uh, have to ask you always partners care New England merger mm-hmm. big issue before your office you've already told me you're putting a lot of time and effort into yes. that but uh, can you give any sense of how close you are to saying their applications complete we're kicking off the three-month review
1: I can't because the the ball is in their court to answer the questions we post um, and when we have all the answers we will then go into the review process along with the Department of Health once you trigger that 90 days About right, seconds yeah jail. you've got to get that done so if we don't have everything we can't make the DECISION FOR THE PEOPLE OF THE STATE.
0: IN 30 SECONDS, BIGGEST SURPRISE AFTER 100 DAYS. THE BREATH OF THE
1: OFFICE, OF THE of the AG'S JOB ITSELF, THE REGULATORY, THE CIVIL SIDE OF IT WHERE I'M SPENDING A LOT OF MY TIME. THE CRIMINAL STUFF, I'VE BEEN DOING THAT FOR A LONG sure. TIME. THAT COMES NATURALLY. I'LL TELL YOU this, SOMETHING ELSE. I HAD FORGOTTEN, FRANKLY, in MY YEARS AWAY, MY 15 YEARS AWAY, HOW DEDICATED THE STAFF IS. THE STAFF HAS A GREAT ATTITUDE. THEY WORK HARD. THEY LOVE THE WORK. Uh, I've been so impressed with them. I, it, it is, it's amazing the good work that
0: they do. Attorney General Peter Nerona, thank you so much for joining us on the program. We'll see you at 200 days. Is that—is that a deal? We'll see.
1: Okay, all right, good to have you. <laughs> and we'll see me. you
0: next week on Newsmakers. Thanks thank for you. watching.